All right, family, remain standing if you would, if you are seated up on your feet one more time. It is good to hear clamor in the house of God this morning. It's a community, and a community is a beautiful thing. Up on your feet if you're able to, and let's declare our faith together as we prepare to open the scriptures. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Then his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church, We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. If you agree with it, say it real loud. Amen. You may be seated. I was telling some friends this week, we were talking about how much gimmickry sometimes happens in the church. And I was saying, man, I can't, I just have no tolerance for gimmickry in the church, if you are not moved by the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come, what will do for you? <laughs> but this is our story. We're concluding our series on Proverbs this morning, the book of Proverbs, and we uh, framed our series around the question, how do I dot, dot, dot. We tackled lots of different practical subjects. How do we manage power? How do we manage money? How do we manage our sexuality? How do we manage friendships, relationships? How do we deal with difficult people? And this morning, I want to bring uh, our series in for a landing by asking the question, how do I finish well? How do I finish well? And I think when you uh, survey the sweep of the biblical story, people that have finished well, uh, you can hardly do better than the statement of the Apostle Paul. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is writing to his young protege, Timothy, And he says that I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. And then he says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Don't you love that? I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now Paul says there is in store for me The crown of righteousness with which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day and not only to me but also to all who have longed for his appearing. What does it mean to get to the end of your life and to be able to look back over it and go, I did it the right way. 
I walked with God. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. It's too easy, given all the temptations that we experience in our lives, to lead a kind of profligate and wayward existence where we get to the end of our lives and our lives are very much full of regret. But it doesn't have to be that way. And I think that what the scriptures lay out for us and what Proverbs lays out specifically for us is something of a roadmap for living our lives in such a way that when we get to the end of them, we also will be able to say that I've fought the good fight and I finished the race and I kept the faith. The question is, what does it take to get there? So Lord, we're before you as those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Would you come and help us? Life is short these days that we live under the sun. They are short. They pass in the twinkling of an eye. And we are called, Ecclesiastes says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of mankind. So would you help us as we examine the scriptures this morning, would you teach us what it means to fear God and keep his commandments? Would you help us live rightly? In your world, correct us where we're wayward, help us where we're stumbling, where we're falling, and comfort us with your promises this morning. Comfort us with your promises this morning. Help us remember that the grace of God triumphs over all human failure. Help us remember that and help us lean on that grace this morning. Grant it, we pray. May the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength, our strength, and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. I'm in Proverbs chapter 3. I'm going to read a long chunk of text here and make one very specific point out of it to start talking and thinking about what it might mean to finish well. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 1. The writer of Proverbs says, my son, don't forget my teaching. But keep my commands in your hearts, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, and then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. He will make your paths straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. And this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, don't despise the Lord's discipline and don't resent his rebuke. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves and as a father, the son he delights in. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. For she is more profitable than silver, and she yields better returns than gold. And she's more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and those who hold fast to her will be Blessed. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. Thanks be to God. What I love about the Proverbs, you know, there are books in the scripture that kind of 
teach us just pure abstract doctrine or they pull us into the realm of the ethereal, you know. But what I love about Proverbs is that Proverbs anchors us in the concrete. It anchors us in the very human. And it does that by virtue of the promises that it puts in front of us. If you have your Bibles open, I want you to start back at verse 1. And let's just look at this real quick. Think about the earthiness of the promises that the Proverbs put in front of us. It says that if we follow these commands, they'll bring us peace. Everybody say peace. And prosperity. Say prosperity. They'll bring you peace and prosperity. They'll win you favor and a good name. Say favor and a good name. Who doesn't want these things? Peace and prosperity. Favor and a good name. Name, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways submit to Him, and He will make your paths straight. Who doesn't want straight paths? None of us want to live crooked paths, twisted ways that wind up in the ditch. We want straight paths. We want health in our bodies, verse 8. We want nourishment in our bones. We want barns that are filled to overflowing, verse 10. We want vats that are brimming over with new wine. We want long life, verse 16. We want riches. In honor. We want her ways, her pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She's a tree of life. We want that. That's what our hearts hunger for. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. We want all of these things, don't we? These are deeply human desires. And I think part of what Proverbs is reminding us of is that God is very interested in meeting us at the level of these human desires. Many hundreds of years ago, one of the great thinkers of the church, St. Irenaeus, said, that the glory of God is a human person fully alive. This, to me, chapter 3 of Proverbs, is the picture of a human person fully alive. Things are working. There's riches and honor. There's prosperity. There's a good name, integrity of soul, integrity of body. Things are working the way that God intends. And Proverbs is a reminder of that. The promises of Proverbs, I think, are a sign that God is in the business of giving us life, and that more abundantly. That God is not trying to diminish our lives or rob our lives or take us out of this one created existence that he has given us. But God is in the business of amplifying and perfecting this one created existence that we have been given under the sun. And so the promises of Proverbs, I think, are a sign that God is giving us life and that more abundantly. But there's a catch here. There's a catch. As desirable as all of these things are, riches, honor, peace, prosperity, long life, health, being blessed, all of these things, there's a catch here. And the catch is that the only way that we really step into these things that God has laid out for us is by wanting something else. It's by wanting something else, which is very counterintuitive. The great Danish existential theologian in the 19th century, Soren Kierkegaard, said that purity of heart is to will one thing. And so this is a bit counterintuitive to us because what we think is, well, look, if what you want is riches and honor, enduring wealth, prosperity, peace, long life, health, all these things, what you need to do is you need to really focus on those things, right? Purity of heart is to will one thing. So focus on those things and those things will come to pass for you. But Proverbs is not teaching that. Proverbs is teaching that these things are available to us if we want something else and we want it more than these things, then these things are given uh, to us. My dad, to illustrate what I'm talking about here, uh, my dad is an expert gardener. 
uh, like a really good gardener. He's 67 years old, and he's been gardening, I think, most of his life. I think he started when he was a kid with his parents and then through his adult life. And he's lived in one place all of his life, Marshfield, Wisconsin, so he knows the environment well and the soil well and the seasons and how it all works. Very, very good gardener. And I can remember just growing up, like, marveling at his gardens, and I still do. Like, in the middle of the summer, he'll have these tomato plants that are six feet tall with these tomatoes on them that like they're the size of cantaloupes they're beautiful you know a garden full of carrots and cabbages and asparagus and squash and lettuce and beans and snap peas and all that stuff just amazing and and so I remember I actually remember when I was a kid I don't know if you've ever had like a fresh good vine ripe tomato there are like few things like it on planet earth you know And you grab the salt shaker out of the kitchen and you wander into the garden and you pluck one of those things and you take that first bite, you know, and if you hate tomatoes, I'm sorry, I know this is grossing you out, but running down your chin and down onto your shirt, you know, and you do that couple of shakes of salt and the salt cuts against that sweet and amplifies and it's so good. And, you know, we just like stuff ourselves with these things. And so when I became an adult, Mandy and I were married, we're living in our first house that we bought uh, in Tulsa. And I really, really wanted to like dip my toes kind of in the gardening scene. And I had this idea of the tomatoes that I enjoyed so much in my dad's garden. And I thought really, truly, like how hard can it be? Right? They're just tomatoes in a pot and sunshine and water and it should be fine, right? And so we went to Lowe's or Home Depot or wherever and we bought a couple big pots and we got the tomato plants and we got good potting soil and we put it all in there. And set, ready, go. And I put, you know, the little cage thing on the outside so that it would, like, support it as it grew up and all that. And I, I remember just starting at, like, a week past and, like, two weeks past. And I started getting very impatient with the tomato plants because they were just not doing what I'd seen tomatoes do, you know, in the mythical land of Wisconsin. And they just were not growing as fast as I wanted them to. And three weeks passed and four weeks passed. And, again, I've got now like the memory of my dad's tomato plants is like a judgment against my tomatoes. It's just not looking all that good. And there's a couple little tomatoes that are starting to form on them. And I just thought this has got to go better and faster than what I'm seeing in front of. So what, uh, what do I need to do? I went, oh, I think that like Home Depot, Lowe's, wherever, I think that they sell a thing like miracle Grow. you know, like surely like that's the thing to do. And so I got a whole bunch of miracle Grow. And I didn't even look at the back, like, how much are you supposed to give the plants? I just thought if a little bit is good, a lot is great. (laughs) Right? There I am with the miracle grow and just shaking on there and watering more. And uh, the plants grew. They really did. Like, they shot up out of these pots. And pretty soon, my little tiny tomatoes are turning into these huge, mutant gorgulent tomatoes, were just enormous and kind of gaudy looking. And I did start to get just a little bit concerned about these tomatoes, you know. And so as the summer passed, all of a sudden now we're running into serious trouble because these plants are getting so big that they're overgrowing the, the pot and they just are not like leaning well. They can't quite support their own weight and the tomatoes and all of that. And by the end of the summer, I did have tomatoes, but they were the ugliest tomatoes you've ever seen in your life. They were so ugly and mutant looking and misshapen that you, even though they were red, like you just definitely did not want to eat them. And they were also causing the plant itself 
to collapse. And I, so here's what Andrew Arndt did that's different than what Bill Arndt, my dad, does. My dad has like this profound understanding and respect for local soil and conditions and sunlight and the process of a tomato plant and all of the things that make the tomato plant go. And me, in my haste to get a tomato that looked just like my dad's tomatoes, I just blew past all that stuff, didn't I? So what I did is I rip open the miracle Grow and I pour it on my tomato plants in excess, hoping, just hoping, that I'm going to be able to bypass all of that that my dad had learned over the course of many years and have my own wonderful tomatoes. And the end of that process is that they weren't wonderful. Those tomatoes were disgusting. They were awful. They were disproportionate. They were misshapen. And they destroyed the tomato plant in the process and let it be a lesson to us. This is kind of what I'm talking about with Proverbs. That what happens to us is that we fix our attention on certain outcomes of life and then we bypass all of the things that make those outcomes possible. So we make an idol out of long life and we make an idol out of health. And what do we do? We ruin other important things for our humanity in the process, right? We make an idol out of money and we ruin our humanity in the process. We make an idol out of certain kinds of relationships. We make an idol out of achieving favor and a good name in the sight of other people. And what does it do? It warps life and it actually causes those things, if we get them at all, to be misshapen. Are you following what I'm saying this morning? If we want to live the way that God intends and step into all of the blessings of Proverbs, it turns out that we're going to have to want something more than the blessings themselves. And King Solomon, who writes the Proverbs, knows something about this. In the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 1, we read this. Solomon has just come into possession of the kingship. And the scripture says that that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask for whatever you wish, whatever you want me to give to you. And Solomon answered God, you have shown great kindness to David my father and you have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me, what does Solomon ask for here? Say it loud. Give me wisdom. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? And God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire and you have not asked for wealth, possessions, or honor nor for the death of your enemies. And since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king. Therefore, watch what the Lord says, wisdom and knowledge will be given to you. And what happens? I will give you wealth, possessions, and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had and none after you will have. Solomon says to the Lord, I've been given this one life, okay? The great people of Israel, they are spread out in front of me like sand on the seashore. And the thing that I want more than anything else, God, is I don't want wealth. I don't want possessions. I don't want power. I'm not asking for the death of my enemies. 
What I'm wanting, God, is you. I want your wisdom. I want your knowledge. And the Lord says to him, because you have asked for these things, you asked for wisdom, you asked for knowledge, you asked for me. Remember that in Proverbs, wisdom is the handmaiden of the Lord. We're not talking about something separate from God himself when we call out for wisdom. Because you asked for these things, I'm going to give you all of the other things in addition to wisdom and knowledge. That's the way that it works. If you want the tomatoes, you have to have the wisdom and knowledge, right? To treat the tomato plants right. If you want a flourishing life, you have to be able to tend to the conditions that make a flourishing life possible. And it turns out that you can't so fall in love with the outcomes of the flourishing life that you lose track of the one who gives the flourishing life. Are you tracking with me this morning? Jesus says, seek first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. You get the sense that Jesus knew the Proverbs and knew them well. Set your hearts on the kingdom of God, the reign of God, the righteousness of God. Think how often the psalmist will not just say, when you read the Psalms, they don't always just sort of say, God, I need food today and I need my enemies to perish today. They don't say that. Often what you get from the psalmist is the psalmist saying, Lord, teach me your ways. Show me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior and my hope is in you all day long. C.S. Lewis said it so well when he said that if you aim at heaven, you will get earth thrown in. But if you aim at earth, you get neither. We're called to set our affection not on the outcomes of life, but we're called to set our affection on the one who gives life. We're called to set our affection on the one who gives wisdom. And so the first and perhaps most important lesson of Proverbs is that if you want a flourishing life, you have to want something else more than a flourishing life. Are you with me this morning? We have to get that in our bones, okay? We have to know that. Deep inside our hearts, we have to know that. But there's a trick here, okay? If the catch of Proverbs is that if in order to get these things, the outcomes, the promises of Proverbs, you have to want something else and want it more, there's something else that happens here. When we start doing this, when we start moving in the, the direction of wanting something else and wanting it more, a couple things will happen if you'll do this. One, you actually will begin to acquire wisdom, okay? Wisdom won't just be something on the outside that you sort of hear and accept on authority, but the scripture says, Proverbs chapter 2 says that wisdom will actually enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. The wisdom of God will seep into the water supply of your life. It will become one with you. Wisdom will enter your heart. So you will begin to acquire wisdom if you live this way. And secondly, life will actually begin to work. And those of you in this room that have walked with God for any length of time, you can attest to this, that when you start understanding the grain of the universe as God has set it up for us, you begin to realize that the universe really is set up to work a certain way. And it's beautiful and wonderful when you enter into the wisdom of God and things start working out for you. And it's there at exactly that 
point, at exactly that point, that the danger for us, the spiritual danger, is the greatest. I want you, if you have your Bibles, to flip, open a, uh, flip over a few other pages to 2 Chronicles chapter 16. One of the things that's beautiful about reading the history of Israel is that you have all of these kings in Judah and Israel that followed God, and some of them ended well, and some of them did not end so well. And many of those who did not end well actually started out living the right way. And towards the end, they kind of took a turn. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, 15, and 16, we read of one of the kings of Israel that did just that, started out well, a man by the name of Asa. Asa, the scripture says, set his heart to wholeheartedly follow the Lord. And he tore down the high places and he got Israel back worshiping the one God. And whenever Asa in his early years was faced with a difficult decision or there was a military obstacle in front of him, you know what Asa did? Asa would set his heart on seeking the wisdom of God. God, we're facing this thing, and I know that the playbook says that maybe I should do it this way, and I know that other nations handle things in this way, but I don't know that that's the way. So, Lord, what I'm doing before you now is I'm yielding my heart to you, and I'm asking you for your wisdom, and God would give him wisdom, and Israel would make it through to the other side. And we come to this point in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, where Asa has been king for many years. He's walked with God for a long time. And Asa now is being faced with another one of those sort of political moments. He's got some alliances out there that have allied themselves against him. And he's trying to figure out what's the best way to do this. And he does something unprecedented in his kingship up to this point. Asa doesn't consult the Lord. Instead, you know what he does? He goes, I've got this. I've walked with God for all of these years. I've become a wise man. Things are working out well for me. I've got a track record of stuff where I don't need to consult God over this. I know what to do. And so he makes a decision that sets Israel up for disaster. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 7, the scripture says that at that time, Hananiah the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said to him, because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Were not the Cushites and the Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed. Everybody say fully committed. Fully committed to him, but you have done a foolish thing, and from now on you will be at war. And watch Asa's response here in verse 10. Asa, who should have humbled himself in this moment, the scripture says that Asa was what? He was angry with the seer. Maybe you have seen this in your life. Men and women who walked with God for most of their lives, and at some point they took a turn, and if ever you began to confront them about it, instead of humbling themselves, what do they do? Yeah, they bow up, right? Well, who are you to question me? But who are you to challenge me? Don't you understand the life that I've lived before the Lord? I've got this, and why are you talking to me like that? And Asa was angry with the seer because of this, and he was so enraged that he put him in prison. And at the same time, Asa brutally oppressed some of the people. The events of Asa's reign from beginning to end are written in the book of the king of Israel and Judah. And in the 39th year of his reign, 
Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. And though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. And then in the 41st year of his reign, Asa died and rested with his ancestors. And they buried him in the tomb that he had cut out for himself. Think about that. Asa, who had lived his life in humility, Asa, who had lived his life seeking God, all of a sudden at the end of his reign, becomes full of pride, and he does things his own way, and he won't submit to God. And I submit to you that the disease that he was given him in his feet, there's great symbolic value in that disease, isn't there? Psalmist says, that you have set my feet in a spacious place. Elsewhere, the psalmist says in Psalm 119, that I run in the path of your, can you finish it? Commands. You have set my heart free. That when we begin to pull ourselves away from the Lord, it immobilizes us. It renders life smaller. It renders us incapable of doing the things that we need to do in life. And at the end of Asa's life, he is not honored by others, but rather he honors himself. He's buried in a tomb that he had cut out for himself. I have been in the church my entire life. And one of the saddest things that I have seen is this story over and over and over again. Where people that have walked with God 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years, and they have acquired wisdom, and life has begun to work for them, and all of a sudden they think that they're bigger than the system. You've seen it. The most obvious examples are the church leaders that we've seen over the years. I think growing up in the church, that's been one of the saddest things that I've seen. I remember starting to see it when I was coming into my own faith in the 90s as a teenager and just becoming aware of what was going on kind of in the church beyond my little world and watching leaders, watching leaders who should have been entering into the best years of their lives, watching those leaders one after another fall, watching leaders one after another enter into seasons of failure and not even in their failure like Asa, humbling themselves before the Lord and coming back. I've watched it over and over again, and we're watching it now with leaders, people that have led ministries for 20 years, 30 years, and they should be entering into their best years, and instead they enter into their worst years because at some point along the way, they decided that they were bigger than the system. And I'm submitting to you this morning that that's not just an occupational hazard for people in ministry, that's an occupational hazard for every single one of us. That at some point along the way, you start thinking, I've got this, I'm good, it's all fine. But I don't need to submit myself to the Lord like I used to. And I don't need to humble myself like I used to. And I don't need to talk to other people like I used to. And I don't need to seek advice and counsel like I used to because I've got this. And that is the point at which you court disaster. And you got to be aware of it. It's the occupational hazard of becoming mature. It's the last test of the mature. Will you stay humble? Will you stay submitted? Because one of the things that we forget is that in Proverbs, wisdom is not just a thing that's laying around in the created order that we can just kind of gather up and master and then go on our merry way. 
But watch what the writer of Proverbs says, Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 6. For the Lord, everybody say the Lord, gives, say gives, the Lord gives wisdom. And from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Wisdom is not just a thing laying around in the created order that we then taste and see and we sort of master and then go on our merry way. But wisdom exists in a living relationship with the Lord. The Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and what? Don't do it. As wise as you think you have become, as smart as you think you have become about how things work and how the world is set up, still trust in the Lord with, with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. And this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. If we stand any chance of finishing well, then the fear that was before our eyes when we began our journey must remain with us to the very end. You don't graduate from this. And now I'm saying this to you. As a guy, I'm talking now to those of you that have been in this for a while. And I'm speaking to you as one who's in the middle of life. I'm not a young guy anymore. And I'm not an old guy yet either. I'm in the middle. And do you know what I need from you? I need you to keep walking with Jesus. I need that. I need to be able to sit across the table from you. And I need to be able to say to you, tell me what it's like to be 40 and what I'm going to face in the next decade. Help me do this well. And you know what grieves me in watching leaders fail is I go, who's going to be there for us? One after another, the sacred canopy over our heads of spiritual maturity is going away. They're either passing into the next life or they're showing that they never really were people that we could trust. I need you. We need you. We don't need you to become amazing. I don't need you to make a lot of money. I don't need you to make the cover of magazines. I don't need that from you, okay? I don't need them to do a big write-up on you in Christianity today. I don't, need you, I don't need you to make money hand over fist. I don't need you to become very successful. I don't need that from you. Do you know what I need from you? I need you to be good with a goodness that I can trust. We all need that. We need spiritual mothers and fathers 
And the only way that we get there is by maintaining the humility that we had when we started the journey. One of the best examples that I can think of of this, and with this we make the turn into communion, is the great Eugene Peterson who passed away a few years ago. Many of you know Eugene as the author of the message version of the Bible, along with 40 other books on pastoral ministry and life and walking with Jesus and all of that. And in the last years of Eugene's life, Eugene and Jan retired, moved to Flathead Lake, Montana, a little town outside of Kalispell, Montana. And if anybody in Christendom in the 20th and 21st century maybe could have made the case for being a big deal and patting themselves on the back for it, it was Eugene Peterson. And do you know what in the last years of Eugene's life he and Jan were doing? They were working on getting smaller, not bigger. They weren't working on expanding the empire. They weren't working on solidifying the brand. They were working on becoming smaller and more humble. And do you know where you were likely to find them on a Sunday morning if you search for them in Montana? At a little Lutheran church, standing at the door, greeting people as they came in. Welcome to worship this morning. That's how they ended their lives. The psalmist said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. If you maintain that to the very end, you will make it. And so will I. Can we stand this morning? God, we need you. God, we need you. Would you hold your hands up like this? Hold your life before the Lord. We say, search us, oh God. We say, know our hearts. We say, test us and see if there's any wicked way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. Break our stubborn pride and keep us as children in the kingdom of God. And so we make this prayer, our confession before you. We say, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And now, Lord, let the fire of your spirit fall upon us. Would you welcome the spirit's presence in your heart, in your life? Would you let the fire of the spirit fall upon us to burn away our stubborn pride, to break us down again, to reduce us to simplicity, to make us children in the kingdom of God again? Granted, we're asking in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, let's respond in worship and then Pastor Colin will lead us to the table.
So good to 
words reach from the depths as far as east is from the west so far your grace has carried me until i see you face to face until at last i won my race remind me you're not finished yet with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Yes, it is right. Give him thanks right now. for us how to finish well and it was a finish that was being poured out it was a finish that was suffering of giving of himself in love that is what you hold in your hands is the example of that and on the night that he was betrayed he took bread he had given thanks, he broke it. Would you break the bread? He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is for you. Receive the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you proclaim the mystery of our faith? Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Help us be faithful, Jesus. Would you receive the cup? give praise in your spirit that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you by the power of the blood. Would you respond with the doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings
Would you lift your hands and receive this benediction? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. John Wesley used to always say, one of the great leaders of the church, he used to say, best of all, God is with us. As you go this morning, would you remember that? If you need prayer for anything this morning, I'd love to call our altar ministry team forward. They'll be happy to pray with you about whatever you're walking through. Stop at Connect Central on the way out. If you're new, we'd love to meet uh, you. And uh, that's all I have to say to you. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next Sunday.